the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 76, recorded Friday, February 1st, 2013. I Sony. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I will be your tour guide for the day. Uh, with us this week is Craig McCormick, <clears throat> who has a brand new title. We're going to try take it out for a spin here. The Editor at Large at Commercial Integrator. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Good. I just broke something, so hey. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's over there in Boston, but writes for... Uh, CI, who's a uh, obviously a division of EH. Uh, also with us is Mr. George C. Tucker. Uh, what is what is your middle name, dude? This will be the second show in a week now. It's J. J. It stands George for James. J. Uh, James. Okay. Yeah. George J. Tucker. Uh, he is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. How are you, sir? I'm just fine. If you actually want my given name, it was once George James Arthur Philip Tucker the third, but I changed that when I became 21. George James Arthur. There's an acronym there somewhere that I'm. Yeah, yeah we're not going to go there, John. All right. Uh, my, my real name is David, if, if that really matters. Really? <laughs> really want to screw things up. So, where did Craig come from? That's my middle name. Oh, uh, yeah. My brother in law does that. His, his, real, his, his given name is Richard, but he goes by Dwayne, so, because that was his dad's name. My name, though, is really Tim. So, <laughs> not, to, not to confuse anyone else. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Cedia this week for just a, a slight second or two. Also, Belkin is either buying something or selling something. I am not quite sure which, uh, and I'll explain that in a second. Also, uh, AT&T and the wireless space, but first, uh, since January, is the month of technology um, integration trade shows. Let's talk about another one. Uh, this week was the uh, the wonderful uh, Integrated Systems Europe, also known as ISE. And uh, Craig, this one's interesting. Uh, we have a couple of links on the on the website for uh, articles. One was written by uh, your cohort, Mr. Tom LeBlanc for, from Commercial Integrator, talking about the, the European-centric focus of this. Uh, it's a, it is a pro-AV show, but it's also a, a, com- a, a, com- a residential one as well because you have Infocom International as well as CDA coming together. Um, but Tom writes about the interesting spin that a lot of manufacturers take when they go into Europe, uh, trying to trying to you know sell sell their wares. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's it is it is interesting. Um, one one stat that came out is is how many new exhibitors there are at, at ISE this year. About about twenty five percent, a little less than that. About twenty five percent of the. Uh, the 900 or so exhibitors are, are brand new, so so definitely some some companies over here are seeing, you know, some new opportunities and and definitely uh, realizing that the uh, the market doesn't stop where uh, where the continental United States ends. There, there's definitely some some opportunities for them to do do something overseas and, and expand their their businesses. I, I think a lot of companies knew that as it is anyway, but but it's interesting to see how how big of a, a growth 
there is uh, this this year. And, and George, this is, I mean, Craig kind of hit it on the head. I mean, there's a lot of times, and, I, and I've, I've used this phrase before, big dumb American, where, um, you know, we, we kind of get in our own little bubble and we think that we're it. You know what, guys? We're 300 million out of however many billion people on the planet. There are markets outside of the continental U.S. Uh, guys like Control 4 went over there and, and started throwing around uh, their streamers. Um, ZTV, Crestron, obviously, uh, had a big presence there. Premier Mounts, I think, had a really huge one. Life size was that. I mean, you you name it. If you're going to see it at Infocom and or Cedia, you probably saw it at this show. On top of that, you also have the fact that it's the biggest AV show by sheer uh, numbers of, of attendees, over 40,000 again for the second year in a row. Uh, is this one of the things where, one of those cases where this is going to become the premier show, or is it just it's the premier show for Europe, and we're still going to have the two separate ones here in the U.S.? You know, I tend to think that that depends on how the EU economy actually does lately. It's been in a little bit of a you know roller coaster lately, and lots of bad news about banks and leveraging and all that kind of stuff. But it does have a potential because the EU standard is a cross you know nation standard, so that there is a chance for very unified products to come across and say this works there too. Um, so I, if it, if the economy does well and this market does really grow the way it's it looking to do so, then, yeah, it could be a real potential threat to a lot of American manufacturers and get a lot of traction in the U.S. marketplace. I agree. Although, you know, I'm reading it and the 67-page the document about the EU standards that Tom uh, mentions, I, I don't think it's that difficult from what I've seen in the past. Now, I haven't read it in a while. But, I mean, really what most of those things are is about getting a UL-type certification, which is a Euro European version. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to deal with the building code or building materials used differences. That was not very good English, but <laughs> we use a lot of you know drywall and wood, and there's a lot of concrete there, and you need to have different back boxes and the stuff like that. Um, but other than that, it shouldn't be that difficult for a fairly competent manufacturer to deal with. Well, one of the things that was interesting, we, we produced a couple actually really good, a couple of really good shows, uh, one for Infocom and one for, uh, for commercial or for, for um, CE Pro. Uh, and we had a, a lot of really good, smart people come on and, and previewed ISE. One thing that came out of the, the CE Pro show was the difference not only in the electrical standards and all that stuff, but you have considerable differences when it comes to manufacturing or, or or home installations. Yes, you're going to have brand new construction, absolutely. But you're also going to have 300-year-old homes that have got, uh, you know, that have been retrofitted two or three or four different times uh, to contend with as well. So I thought that was interesting as well. You know, you, you, just, you just have a whole different set of expectations, a whole different set of problems and issues when you start talking about AV, both from a pro standpoint as well as a residential, when you get outside of the continental U.S., uh, I'm, well, I mean, I'm also sorry. I'm also interested no. to see how, what what happens with the attendance kind of going forward. You you wonder if this is one of those things that kind of builds on itself that you know people see that there was 44,000 people there this year and say, oh, shoot, I missed it this year. I definitely have to go next year and check it out. And you know, kind of how how uh, how how the organizers re respond to that and you know if if they can handle it you know getting bigger and bigger and bigger and and maybe it maxes out at some point and I don't maybe that's what's happened to to some degree with with Infocom that it that it's gotten you know kind of as big as it's going to get and people are looking for something different and 
you know, kind of willing to, to spend the money to, to, to go to ISE and, and see something different too. Okay, so here's a question for you two, uh, gentlemen, both on the East Coast, so you can get to Amsterdam a whole lot quicker than I can. Uh, should we go? And I'm not talking about AB Nation, I'm not talking about anything like that, but uh, you know what, you're an integrator um, in a major metropolitan area, or you are you know, a regional manager for, for either a manufacturer or you know, somebody who puts stuff in, or you're an education guy. Is there a reason, as a U.S.-based company, other than manufacturing, to go to ISE? No? Okay. <laughs> Moving on, then. Um, something that happened about a year ago. We started talking about um, AVB and the Avenue Alliance. And the reason I say it was about a year ago, because they started talking, the Avenue Alliance started talking about, hey, we're going to be at Infocom. Come check us out. Come check out our uh, almost... Kind of like a plug fest where you, you, you can you can see how the different uh, systems interact with each other, whether it is Yamaha or um, uh, Biamp or what have you. Uh, biggest beef, though, from a personal standpoint, not anybody else's, with AVB is the fact that the V, as in Victor, part of AVB seems to still be missing, and that stands for video. Um, George, there's a press release that we'll have a link to, and, and I don't necessarily like press releases, but the thing that caught my eye was the fact that Avenue Alliance, which is the AVB kind of working group, has formed a pro-video subgroup. Is this what needs to happen for AVB to move forward with the video portion, uh, or, or is it just, is it too little too late and HD Base T has already taken their lunch and, and gone on about their way? I don't know yet. Um, it is a wise thing, in my opinion, actually, because you're going to have two competing standards anyway. Why not bring on the big boy video, which is going to generate most of your need for that kind of traffic anyway? I mean, there's very few of us two-channel guys around going, yes, I want to put my, my stereo over AVB only and you know, video over another set of network cables. It's usually going to be both, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? I mean, you're not going to try and separate it. Um, no, I think it's actually something that's worth looking into, especially on the pro market side. There is a chance for this to fly in the pro, in the live staging, in the broadcast world, if not in the home and, and residential areas. This could still very well fly. It's got the backing of AES. It's got the backing of a lot of good organizations. I, I think there's still a good chance it could make a, a show. Craig, is this something that they're just kind of kind of catch you know play catch up with HD base T, or is this a real a real shot at this? I mean, there's probably some degree of the the catch-up mentality, but but I think like George said, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, you know big big players involved in this, and and a lot of a lot of uh, you know a lot of potential for it. So it, it's kind of one of those like like George said, we'll see what what happens, and it it's kind of it remains to be seen. I'm I'm not sure where it's going to go, but it's it's definitely good that they're at least giving it a shot. I think. Yeah, that was, and I agree with you guys. That that's one thing that I wish that they would have done. Maybe I don't know six months a year ago, before um, HDPST really came out with, I don't know, displays built into it. So you know, built in with it. So um, moving down the line, Belkin is buying Linksys from Cisco. Um, Craig, my first question is why. Uh, and then you think a little bit more about it, and uh, I, I don't know if this is. Me and my inherent distrust of Cisco, but it almost feels like, you know, a Trojan horse where Cisco is going to come back and buy Belkin all, all all over again. But 
Um, do you think this is a good move for Cisco or for Belkin? You know, to, to get rid of one or, or pick up the other. Yeah, it's de definitely an interesting move. It wasn't wasn't one that you know people necessarily expected, but but um, I, I'm not sure kind of where where this is going to go, and and I I uh, I sympathize with your kind of distrust or, or whatever the word might be for uh, you know kind of what Cisco's motives are here with this whole thing. It it, it is definitely kind of kind of a weird move, and um, I, I guess we'll kind of see what what happens as a result of this I'm, I'm not really sure what to what to make of it all to be honest with you and george this hmm. is not the first time that cisco has uh divested of a of a previous um purchase but it doesn't happen very often um where, where <laughs> they buy a company and they usually kind of integrate all the technology and just swallow it whole right well it seems so but when i first read this i thought the first thing was like we're gonna have to start making a verb out of isonied oh, you know sort of it, well that was my first thought because they did this with the flip phone. They bought that flip phone camera, or the flip camera, the flip, sorry, yeah. the, flip phone, the flip, which was really getting wide traction, and then it disappeared. And one, I haven't seen it integrated into anything, and I, it almost sounds to me like they were trying to beat Apple to FaceTime and have some kind of personal teleconferencing communicator system set up. And I kind of thought that's why they bought Linksys, is to have that in-home leverage using the name with the leverage to do what, uh, what we all saw them doing, which was really progressing towards a teleconferencing way. But I haven't really figured out where they think they're going, and I'm not sure they are at this point. I mean, they could be a whole lot smarter than us, but I'm not sure what's going on. And they seem to be wasting chances with getting market integration, you know, or market um, depth into the home and the, the light commercial for teleconferencing. That just seems to be missing. Uh, so let me ask you this, and that you make a really good point, because Cisco has sometimes taken what is inherently commercial, inherently you know big picture, thirty thousand foot view, and dumbed it down a little bit to make it more you know Best Buy friendly. I, I guess is the best way to put that. Do you think maybe their purchase of Tanberg and integrating that into their conferencing solution? maybe facilitated or, or, or caused them to just kind of take the flip and go, eh, no big deal. Let's let's move over here to, to where there's some real video conferencing going on. Well, that's that's what I was kind of thinking. You, you have to wonder why Cisco is, is willing to, to give up Linksys, like what, what they what, what they see the, the future of it as. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe maybe there's something in there that, that you know, nobody is or nobody has said yet that, you know, that, that they maybe don't see it, it growing as much as they they thought it would in in the beginning or or uh, something like that yeah. that's that's also very valid you know i wonder if there's some an assumption there where people thought okay well cisco stuff will slowly be merged into the linksys and why buy the linksys just buy the cisco stuff on the lower end and maybe they're seeing that i haven't really been able to look at their numbers but one would imagine that cisco buys linksys you're thinking either they're going to keep them separate or as we've been seeing more and more cisco gear coming out looking much like the old Linksys stuff, mm -hmm. but it's under Cisco's name. So, is it the Linksys technology under the Cisco name, or is it Cisco stuff under the Linksys name? And why not just buy the, the Linksys? Um, I'm sorry, the Cisco, even though it's maybe a hundred bucks more, but we know it's better, quote unquote. They may have just, you know, undercut themselves with a brand misidentification or brand confusion. I was gonna say, I'm confused. <laughs> just by you going back and forth. So. Well, but when you when when a company just, buys another company and they use the same technology, yeah, 
who's if one's bigger and more reliable and more trusted, who are you going to really buy their front, you know, their gear of? Even if it's the same technology under the hood. Well, that's what you have to yeah. wonder. Is it? But like, originally it wasn't. What's happening? Yeah. Mm, uh, just buy a D-Link and be done with it. <laughs> that solves all of the world's problems. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, this past couple of weeks, um, Macworld, which Apple doesn't exhibit <laughs> at anymore, which is still weird to me. Um, that it was this past couple, this past week, and uh, Crestron came out with a master control app for uh, for Apple devices. Um, Mr. Tucker, is this? How do I put this? Is this kind of Crestron's way of saying, okay, you know what? We get it. You're going to use your smartphones. You're going to use your, your tablets for control. Here's a really great one. Uh, instead of buying a 3000 or 5000 or $15,000 touch panel. There is definitely that. Um, I think for a long time, companies like Crestron and, and AMX and Universal Remote Control and all the rest have recognized that the second screen, the mobile device, is a viable option for a lot of people. And it's the option of choice. Regardless of what any of the professionals like you and me or Craig say, you know, about having a dedicated control and having to fumble and it's awkward and it's not as intuitive, the market wants it and there's no going back. And I think this is their final way of saying, we've said we love you guys for a long time. Look, here's how we're showing you. We're coming to you now. We're not just giving you a product. We're going to come to you and show it off. And I think that's a wise choice and they'll probably get a lot of kudos for it. Craig, is this also a way for them to you know, maybe differentiate themselves from Extron and AMX and some others that you know they do control and they do have some sort of mobile functionality, but it is another level of a control app altogether? Yeah, I, I would I would say that that's true. Although you you wouldn't be surprised to to see those those companies also come out with the same sort of thing now that now that Crestron has done it. You know that that's kind of the way these these things work. You know Crestron. We'll come out with it first, and then um, you know the, the competitors will will come out with it, and we'll we'll kind of let people you know go to go to the their brand that they prefer, and and kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, it's it, I I think it's definitely like you said a, a differentiator for for them for now, and we'll see how long it, it is a differentiator for them, and what what uh, the future holds with it. But you know something very interesting though, two years ago, three years ago. The rage at Infocom was everybody had an iPad app or was coming out with mm -hmm. one or was making an announcement that last year's Infocom, everybody still had these. Even guys who didn't have one last year had one, but they weren't making a big deal about it. So this is sort of a way to breathe fresh life into a product and get much more attention for it in, a, in an industry that went, okay, yeah, you're expected to have it. You know, it's, it's you got to have an on-off button. You, it, you yeah. are expected to have it now. I mean, I, I, recently, um, I recently picked up a new, a new receiver for, for my home system. And one of the first things I did was I, I checked the the Apple Store, uh, the the App Store, to see if it had some sort of of app. It did. It's not the greatest in the world, but it you know it it does what it does. Um, but the one thing though it, about these apps, yes, you have to have one, and yes, it, it needs to be functional. But come on, guys, it, throw a designer a couple bucks and make it look pretty. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are some manufacturers of some switching and control systems. I will not name names, but they are not in Jersey and they are not in Dallas. Um, that they just look god awful. I'm. They just. They look like square little pegs, and you just. Never mind. 
they're in Anaheim. Hey, they're, I'll, I'll at least say that they're just they're 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 ugly as sin, and they're a hundred bucks too. So anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on, Cedia has named a brand spanking new board um, after it uh, parted ways with uh, El Presidente last December. New members include Robert Brown of HED South, Stephen Crawford of Brand Strat One, Mark Hodges of Forefront Innovations, and David Humphreys. Of Atlantic Integrated. Uh, Craig, are you guys all excited because Cedia has a new board? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Hold it, yourself it's back all, now. Yeah, I know. It's, it's always, uh, you know, it's always good for, for the folks that are on the board to, uh, you know, to, to have some, some new blood, and new, new ideas. You, you don't want to get kind of stale, um, you know, kind of have the same people talking about the same things over and over again. So, I mean, it, it's, it, looks like it's kind of an, an annual sort of thing and you know that the, there's you know new people you know coming in every year so i mean who who knows how much of a difference it'll make but it'll it'll at least you know throw some some new new opinions new thoughts that that sort of thing into the into the mix and that's never a bad thing because i'm sure there are things that you know the mr brown mr crawford mr hodges and mr humphreys you know are, are thinking about that that some of these others maybe haven't thought of in the past Sorry, you were naming them all off, and I immediately went to Dr. Howard, Dr. Bra- Dr. Fine, Dr. <laughs> Howard, Dr. Fine. George, is this a great thing, or is it, you know, like, like Craig says, you get new blood in there, you get new ideas, you get new perspectives? I definitely think the new perspectives would be welcome, although I don't know what is coming out of that yet. You know, there's the, the, the little line at the end going, the process allowed for a strong, strong, form a strong state of candidates, possess the skills, yeah, okay. What are we going to change? What, what do you guys see as attention? Put that out. That's what I want to hear. We've gotten together. Here's our mission statement. Even if it's like the anti-pollution global warming conferences that says we're going to reduce by 30% in one year and everybody knows it's not going to happen. At least give us something to shoot for. <laughs> what am I shooting for here? I don't know. It's nice for these people. I'm sure they'll do well at it and it's a great experience, but I want to know what's going to change. Otherwise, yeah. you know, old boss is new as the same boss. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> all right. You are listening to AV Week. Uh, that there is George Tucker. Uh, he is the engineering coordinator for World Stage and Mr. Craig McCormick, the editor at large for Commercial Integrator. Um, one of your uh, compatriots over there at Electronic House, or across the way, I guess, at Electronic House, Craig, um, is Grant Klauser. And he wrote an interesting piece. Uh, we've kind of been on a 4K kick this month. And his piece is called What to Watch on 4K Ultra HD TV. Um, some of it's some stuff that came out of CES, and some of it's his own kind of uh, um, uh, just his uh, his views on things. The one or two things that I wanted to point out and get your guys' take on. First of all, CES at CES, Netflix was demoing 4K streaming. Now, as Grant points out, it was a demo, and it wasn't perfect, but it was still there, Right. Uh, on, on top of that, you've got Sony, which is so I don't know about you guys. I kind of expect Sony to be there with with 4K, but the fact that um, Netflix is is demoing 4K, the fact that technically you can download 4K content from YouTube, um, is this where we see this coming from? Instead of some sort of physical media, is 4K the driving force of 4K content? Is this going to be the internet and and that that stream there? Craig. Oh, sorry. That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it is. It is definitely the future, and until something else comes along to make it, 
make that the future instead. But th- this is definitely, uh, you know, kind of the the next big thing. I, th- I think it's the thing that you know everybody's going to start to to gravitate to, and and obviously has has started to gravitate towards. So, so I'm just glad we're not talking about 3D anymore. Um. Oh, we sort of are. <laughs> In a backhanded way. Yeah, I would do. I would do 3D if it was 4K. But that's a. You know, it was explained to me that if you take 4K and you put 3D in it, then you have an actual true HD 3D because it's 1080p on one eye and 1080p on another eye. So that's all I'll say about that. Well, you know, but everything they showed. Mm-hmm. Was really, I think it's upscaled stuff, isn't it? Well, none of it was native 4K that I could see. It was all old films. Yes, it was all old films, and but it was it was upscaled. The YouTube stuff is is native, but you have to download it. You can't stream it. Um, but who's recording it in 4K? How can it be native if you're not recording it in 4K? That's my question. No, 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 you can You can still you can record in 4K. You've been able to do that for years. It's it's the whole the red cameras and um, right, right. But I, I guess I haven't seen anything that's claimed it actually. True. That's my thing. Although streaming is the way to go, though you know there is a huge debate going on amongst a lot of the people on the uh, the Twitter boards, the AV Tweeps guys, about um, uh, the future state of a medium, whether it's going to be a physical disc uh, or oh. not. But uh, it <laughs> yeah. was, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, it's still going on where people are still digging bunkers and and throwing hand grenades about whether or not the physical medium is here to stay or not. Uh, I think 4K streaming might just be the final atom bomb as it were to get rid of the physical medium but i'm hoping so no but maybe not i mean here's the thing regardless of whether it's blu-ray or the next generation of a medium um there are some people who are simply going to want a physical disc uh i'm not one of those people but i you know there are there are some people out there who that's what they want right um mm-hmm. And blu-ray i think and i could be wrong about this when it comes to its storage capabilities and 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 its delivery capabilities, it should be able to deliver 4K pretty well. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, putting you know, uh, uh, Burns's Civil War all on one disc uh, in 4K, but he, you know, you could probably make a, a set out of it. Um, I could totally be wrong about about the storage capability for that, but I think you should be able to at least, you know, put an hour and a half, two hour movie on one Blu-ray and be okay from a storage capability standpoint. So. I don't know. We shall see. Uh, this week, uh, Engadget has a story. The MIDI is celebrating 30 years, and it has a really cool video. Um, it's a Commodore 64 connected to an iPad. And you don't really have to understand anything about technology to understand that's pretty cool. So, uh, George, you have, um, you're actually one of my biggest MIDI head friends. Um, how important is this medium, and how important is the fact that, eh, not important that it's, that it's been 30 years, but um, when it was first developed, why is that important? Why was that significant um, back in the 80s? Well, it was significant, and it's still very important, I think, and it's something people should, should keep an eye on because it was one of the first cross-platform standards that actually worked. And granted, it was all bits and codes, but it was something that said, 18 manufacturers got together and said, we're going to hammer this out so we can all sell more gear, but we're going to talk on a common line. They made it happen, and I haven't heard a single manufacturer since that's come up with a way to do it their stuff the same way. The home automation world, the remote control world, all of them have kept proprietary stuff for probably specific reasons, but they haven't learned a lesson. MIDI's going strong. The gear's still selling. It works really, really well. 
Um, but what's exciting about it is MIDI, MIDI is this really simple protocol that we can use for anything. I mean, look, I work in the live staging world nowadays, and we use something called MIDI Show Control, which is an offshoot of it for controlling lifts and moving lights and things like that. You've got MIDI itself, which can control almost anything from robotics to musical instruments. You've got MIDI Machine Control, which is used by deck, the optical fiber, I'm sorry, the optical Fostec decks for recording and stuff like that. It's a really versatile and lovely, and I'm getting very evangelical here, mm -hmm. but um, uh, protocol that I'm just sorry isn't wider spread, uh, but using it with a Commodore 64 and an iPad I think is, is very steampunk, uh, oh, yeah. as it were. Well, let me ask you this. Is there a reason, um, obviously the driving force was, well, let's be frank, money. Uh, is there a reason that other manufacturers or other industries or other segments couldn't say, you know what, let's take the MIDI model. Let's take it and let's run with it. Let's say, you know, two, the, the two-pin, it's always hot, guys, and we're always going to do that. Um, I'll, I have a story for you later about in, interfacing with an in-focus uh, Mondo pad and, and the pen out for that sucker. Um, <laughs> let's just put it this way. They use all nine pins, all right, uh, for control. But is there a reason that, that that as a control manufacturers or I don't know let's let's take CEC for for example and let's say mm -hmm. you know yeah let let's say that let's all get together and use the mini model is it the fact that they're so freaked out about proprietary control and somebody st stealing their intellectual properties that they won't make it easier for themselves and for their end users is that the deal? You want me to answer that? Yes, please. Um, Yes, I think that's part of it. Although MIDI gives us the perfect example for that. Here goes the evangelicalism again. Um, and that it has something called a sysx command. There's all these standard commands, there's all these standard functions, and then there's a thing called sysx, which is your unique identifier for only stuff that only your, your uh, unit does. Simple enough to implement in other protocols? No. Uh, I think there's an unwillingness, as you said, for manufacturers of giving up the ghost on that, maybe having that niche market that you know now would be open to others to sort of wedge their way in. Um, but I'll say say this out loud. If that's your real purpose and your only conceivable tether on an industry or a marketplace, then you're just like the flat panel guys from the uh, late late 90s. <laughs> that's going away sooner than later, guys. Stop it. Hang them and, and, hang them and bang them. So. Bang them. Uh, all right, let's talk about the wireless spectrum for a second. Uh, first of all, AT&T uh, is spending almost $2 billion. Uh, they're buying $2 billion worth of 700 megahertz spectrum from Verizon. Uh, a couple reasons why this is important to us. Well, George works in live staging, and he can tell us why 700 megahertz is important. Um, but it, it, it impacts uh, the AV industry when it comes to wireless devices, not just microphones, but other things as well. Uh, Craig, is this something where we should just keep an eye on, or is there anything more we can do than just kind of sit and watch and and and, and read the uh, read the blogs like Engadget and Gizmodo and the Verve and just watch with horror as AT and T picks up all this spectrum? Yeah, I think it's something we kind of have to sit back and and watch watch what happens. Like like you said, I, I'm not sure what we can necessarily do about it. How, how we can kind of change it? it it's you know, it's it's here for for the moment, and we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Well, and George, there's another, there's another story we have actually in our in our links about uh, F, the FCC's Wi-Fi expansion. So, um, first of all, I'll talk about why 700 megahertz is important to us, and how the FCC is kind of encroaching uh, on our uh, on our wireless uh, for a second. <laughs> um, the short the the short 
answer is that it was once not available to us because it was part of the TV spectrum, mm -hmm. off-air, you know, broadcast for analog TV. You remember the color picture sound spikes that needed all that space for analog. Um, the second is that now it's, you know, like I said, it's open to us, um, but there's a whole big debate, especially in the live industries, the live events, staging industries, that they were going to take a lot of that away where a lot of our wireless microphones hid. And when you replace an analog signal with a big old digital signal, there's no room to hide. You know, it's all about proximity and power ratios, and we don't need to get into it on that. We actually have a really nice special that was recorded, what, a year ago with the Sennheiser guys mm -hmm. about yeah. um, uh, RF and stuff that, that details that really well. We should probably put a link on this show with that. Yeah. Um, and that turns into, like, Google was going after the 700 megahertz band. They really wanted it because it's a nice UHF frequency. It's got a nice uh, transmission distance. It's big enough to go around stuff, but small enough to get, you know, um, your direct power, you know, sent uh, from chain to chain. Um, and that has a lot to do with the Munify that they've been trying to establish at times and the WiMAX stuff that has been out there for a little while. And then we do the, was it the gigabit um, 802.11ac, which mm -hmm. the FCC is now trying to make a full standard, which is not really for you and I in our home. It's actually, you know, a suburban metropolitan networking system that they're trying to establish and get a verification for. So all of this does matter because they're going to start slicing this up and products that we're going to be offered will be specific to these or may jump between them. But it's going to be a very interesting way of saying, well, and when you get into New York City, it switches automatically to 700 megahertz. But when you're out in the burbs, it'll be back to microwave or, or 802.11, um, 2.4 gigahertz. Sorry. Well, it's also a way to kind of move us as a country because into more wireless uh, internet and more wireless access. One thing that we have a disadvantage at, uh, or a dis we're a disadvantage when you compare us to the UK or, or you know, uh, France or other uh, countries around the world, is the fact that we are so spread out. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like that in New York or Boston uh, or even in St. Louis. But when you start looking at Iowa and uh, Wyoming and Montana and these big open spaces where you still have populations, they're just not as concentrated. And, and then uh, because they're not as concentrated, you don't have the uh, business reason to expand your infrastructure to service, you know, a thousand or two thousand people when you can spend that same amount of money and service, you know, the entire city of, of, of New York. And so it's kind of the government's way. It's almost like the the, the cable uh, bill back in the '70s, where uh, we as a people decided that that everybody needed cable, and now we have the Kardashians. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> and reruns of Hee Haw and on three run, channels. You know what? I would rather watch Hee Haw than anything with anyone named Kardashian. So this is this is a truth. Yes. Um, a couple of more things, real quick, guys. First of all. Logitech, who is known for their business savvy and their incredible decisions uh, from a technology standpoint over the last three or four years. Um, and yes, my tongue is in my cheek because they're the ones who spent a couple million dollars, $100 million on the Google TV remote and then dumped out of it, is dumping something else. And that's the Harmony remote. Um, and George, you do a lot with the, the DIY guys. This is something that is in their wheelhouse. Um, is this a um, a victim of the the uh, the apps that we've been talking about, or is it simply Logitech trying to divest itself uh, of a certain product line and move in a different direction? I think we probably are seeing that they have probably too wide a selection, uh, and as this market shrinks a little bit due to what we talked about earlier, the second screen remote mm -hmm. control, 
being there that they have to in order to be successful they need to probably narrow what their offerings are to be able to make a profit on those in the segments that will still buy it um, you know I still will buy a dedicated remote because I don't want my kids touching my phone and I'm they're too young to be giving them a phone for that um, and that I think is just real business decision and it's unfortunate, but you know what? The DIY movement has a lot of people making their own boards, making their own products, selling their Raspberry Pis and their uh, Arduino systems that are going to probably take the place of some of those things anyway. Craig, is this a good deal for or a good move by Logitech, or should they hold on to this um, to have you know an actual dedicated remote that's you know competes with with AMX and Crestron, but not really and in, in, at a lower price point? Yeah, I, th I think it's probably the the right way to go. And and I did notice in in the story that that uh, we're talking about here that they're they're also selling uh, part of their surveillance camera business. So, yeah. so maybe there's kind of more going on than than we kind of realize. Who who knows? But uh, maybe there's kind of more. They're they're just realizing that you know certain segments of their uh, their product line are, are not as successful as others, and and it's time to to move on and uh, you know focus on the ones that that are more successful. So. And can we put a big shout out that they didn't go the way of X10 and become really skeevy? So I applaud that. <laughs> what is so your close. problem with X10? Leave them alone. They're dead and buried. Aren't they? They are, aren't they? Yeah. They are. Yeah, I, I think they are. We did a story on them like a year ago. They're gone. They went bye bye. Yes, well, but they, they, laid a, they laid a foul trail. All right. Did I say that out loud? Yes. The <laughs> Big Bang guys love them. That's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, this, this is actually a story written by the <coughs> editor at large for Commercial Integrator. Uh, converting digital signage into revenue. I am going to use the heck out of that title, brother. You deserved it. Um, well, thank you. Here's the thing. I spoke with. Do what? <laughs> Do you know who I spoke with? I spoke with the editor at large. <laughs> the editor at large. I know him. He bought a drink for me. He did? I just had to make sure it wasn't. You bought Georgia drink and you did. What? Hang on. Time out. You bought Georgia drink? No, but he has to now. Oh. Uh oh. <laughs> say, you uh -oh. like went up an escalator and I was going down and you waved hi to me at Infocom. That's all you, you I had time for to Infocom with me. Good Lord. <laughs> Buying Tucker drinks? Come on. Uh, that didn't happen. I think he's. I think he's it was, must have been the other editor at large. Oh. He's Ooh, had drinks with her as well. Thing. All right, <laughs> moving mm -hmm. on. <laughs> um, let's talk about digital signage and how to make money off of them. This is one of those things that everybody and their brother has been talking about for a couple of years now, um, about how how exactly, Craig, um, do we make money on this stuff? Because, you know what, it's really cool. You go into, uh, it was last year or year before last, LG had a very, very interesting display. Um, being a gentleman of a certain size, I am not shy about going to um, um, establishments that, you know, have Frosties and uh, spicy chicken sandwiches um, named Wendy's. That was the, the display, though, for LG. It was a freaking Wendy's, right? Um, and you look at that and you go, okay, I can kind of see that. But for integrators, how do you get in the door there and say, hi, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Bob from your local integration firm. Um, let's talk about, you know, jazzing up your menu board or jazzing up your advertising or something like that. 
Yeah, uh, the, this this is um, it, it's it's a profile on uh, Ping HD. It, they're they're out in Denver and and they're an integrator and they do a lot of what you're talking about. You know, menu boards and in uh, you know restaurants and sports stadiums and and convention centers. You know, all, all kinds of all kinds of places. Um, that, you know, they do digital signage all over the place. Um, one way that they're able to kind of distinguish themselves and know stand apart from most of their competitors if not all of them is is they manage the content themselves they they create the content so mm. um it it and um they 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 said that they're they're the only ones that do it and and talking to other folks you know it's 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 at the very least a, a very rare rare thing if if not the, they're, they're the only ones that, that do it in the industry so so it's something that they you know kind of have done all along and you know, they, they say it it obviously sets them apart and, and it's been successful for them. So, George, is this something where uh, Craig says, you know, they, they manage the content, they create the content. This sounds then like an opportunity not just for um, double E's, you know, somebody that has an electrical engineering degree um, and, you know, a CTS or other experiences uh, in the technical side. But also you take that person and let's say that you have a creative uh, person who is, you know what, they're not just, it's either not happening or they can't find a job in, in graphic arts. This sounds like an, an opportunity for them to get into an industry that maybe they never thought of, but hey, here's a here's a road, here's a path for you to make some money, to make a, a, um, a career for yourself. It may not be, you know, painting the Mona Lisa, but it is, you know, graphical in, in, in nature. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, digital signage has such depth and breadth of an ability to make some kind of profit off of it. Everything from using what the I think it's uh, Roku makes the bright sign mm -hmm. system, which is basically similar to the Roku IM, uh, XMBC system um, that you can do. You can sell a player and some content and the display stuff and a schedule, and it's a one-off sale with maybe an occasional maintenance. And then you can actually do the which is the real money like Ping HD does, which is if you're able to sell the network, the systems, the displays, and the content on a recurring revenue basis, that's, that's really awesome stuff. Um, but digital signage work, we do it all the time for like artsy-fartsy stuff. We do very theatrical or uh, art installations with a lot of this stuff, as well as some, say, Macy's Window. But th this is something that has been growing phenomenally, and it's everything from a plasma display to... You know, uh, almost the whole face of a building in Christie uh, micro tiles. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, I like micro tiles. So, uh, so let me ask you guys this, and, and either one of you, Craig or, or George, um, is there? How do I ask? Is there an integration firm, um, an ideal integration house that is positioned maybe better than another one? So maybe let's let's say that you're a house that, you know what? What we do is pretty much you know residential and. A little bit of commercial, but um, what we do pretty much is, you know, high-end houses and stuff like that. But we're interested in this because, you know, it's it's a good way. It's a good revenue generator. Or, you know, a big Mondo house, maybe not as big as, as AVI SPL, but you know what? We've got three or four or five uh, offices, and, and we do prim primarily commercial, and that's our that's our wheelhouse. So which one of those two, um, or maybe a, a third or fourth option, should should kind of get into digital signage? Well, Ping HD is only about 18 people. Their their employees are there's uh -huh. only about 18 employees there, so it's it's obviously really small. So so it definitely could work if for a small company, you know, if if they have you know the the right mix of people, and that that sounds like what that's that's what they have have there. So, 
Um, obviously, you know, there's, there's more chance of it for working maybe at a, a bigger place where there's there's more employees, more more money, and that that sort of thing. But um, it it can obviously work at a, a small place as well. Well, and maybe the smallness is what gives them their flexibility. You know, makes them more nimble than a bigger house uh, and yep. to bring on new stuff. So, alrighty. Uh, well, gentlemen, that was the uh, the last story that I had. Um, thank you so much for joining us. With us this week is George Tucker, the engineering coordinator for World Studies. Thank you, sir. Thank you. How can people get a hold of you, find you, stalk you? Uh, mostly on Twitter, Tucker Twos. I do have a blog, Tucker Twos at typehead.com, and my stuff is distributed on Red Band, Baby Shout, a number of other places, but you'll always find it through my uh, Twitter feed. Very cool. And also the editor at large. He's the <laughs> editor at large at Commercial Integrator. Uh, his name is Craig McCormick. Um, one thing before I let you uh, pimp your stuff, uh, I do have to uh, to extend my condolences because Craig is a uh, Patriots fan going into Super Bowl weekend. So, <laughs> go Niners! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how how can people find you and your AV as well as your sports uh, ramblings as well? Yeah, um, it, the the AV stuff you can find at commercialintegrator.com. If you're you're interested in the sports and the AV stuff, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, Craig McCormick is my handle. Very cool. Uh, um, if you want to follow me on on Twitter, it's TD Tim David Albright. But more importantly for me and everyone here, please go by the website avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this show. Uh, our DIY show, our EdTech show, we just uh, we just posted our, our one-year anniversary show. Uh, that's an education-focused show. Uh, we've got the Live Life and a couple other more as, others as well, so check them out. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, um, Google+, um, scooped in. And I started a Pinterest page just because, you know, everybody likes Pinterest. So <laughs> uh, check it out, though. Go to avnation.tv. Avnation. TV. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.